Let's pray. Our Father, we do thank you for the way that you are an anchor through all the storms of life and how we have this anchor as a hope for our soul. Father, please help us, as we've seen other weeks, to see that our anchor is in the Lord Jesus and particularly this morning that our anchor in grief is the empathy of Jesus and the hope of the new creation. Amen. Well, I've been thinking about how I'm going to get through the first page uh, of this sermon because I've been... Let me start again. I've been reflecting a lot about grief these past few weeks, thinking about the grief I've experienced, but really thinking about the immense experience of grief that is known in this church. Right? Grief that we've experienced together. Grief that some of us harbour privately and carry alone. And, and for a moment, just as you pause to reflect on the amount of grief just in our small church community, here alone, right, there seems to be no shortage of the things to grieve about and to grieve for. And the thing is, is that our church is not unusual or extraordinary in the grief amongst us. Right? Some of us have lost spouses. Some of us have lost parents. Some of us have lost children, even before they were born. Some of us have lost part of a person to dementia or to the scourge of addiction or to a debilitating trauma. Some of us have lost relationships, connectedness and friendships. But all of us here present know loss in one form or another. And therefore all of us know about grief. Because grief is not just about death, grief is about loss. Right? Grief is familiar to us because loss is familiar to us. And all of us are familiar with the pain of losing someone or or perhaps just losing a much-loved feature of our lives. So, I am by no means an expert on grief, but I do know it both personally and vicariously and I feel the weight of it, just as each one of us knows the weight of grief because we all have profoundly personal experiences with grief. So this sermon is not to be an education in what grief is because you know it. You know already what grief is but how you might find an anchor in the storm of grief. How we might become instruments of God's grace to one another in the midst of grief. How we might thoughtfully point one another to Jesus and, and to our Heavenly Father, the source of all grace who loves and comforts us in our affliction so that we might be able to comfort others in the same way that we have been comforted by him. And there's no actually kind of one suitable place in the Bible to to plumb the depths of grief and its impact on us. So what we're going to do is we're going to set up camp here in the narrative of John 11 and we're going to just do a few day trips here and there, venturing out to a few different places in the Bible to think about grief. But the first thing I think you notice as you read this narrative in John 11, the first thing I think we need to say 
is that grief is necessary. That's the first thing, the first point on your outline. Grief is necessary because this world, well, it's a world which is spoiled by death. So it's not unusual or extraordinary that we see Jesus here at the funeral of a dear friend. Jesus was born as a man, a human, into the same perishing world that we live in and experience today. And and even though, uh, 11 verse 5, Jesus loved Martha and her sister Mary and Lazarus, none of his family and friends was immune from death. Right? No one on this earth is exempt from grief and loss in all its forms. Not, not even Jesus. And Jesus is angry at death and the carnage that it causes. I think this is a really emotive scene. Now look down at chapter 11 verse 33. That when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled, angry even. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. And then the Jews said, see how much he loved him. You see, grief is necessary in this world because in every moment death and decay are at work. And every moment we experience loss, we we grieve because grief is a demonstration of our love and our appreciation for what is lost. Jesus wept and when the Jews saw his grief, they said, see how he loved him. Grief is necessary in the face of death because it acknowledges that there is beauty and goodness in life, in relationships, in in created things. Grief says this person was valuable to me. This thing, this relationship we shared, this time we had together, what they brought out of me, what I saw them bring out of others. It says that this was good and I miss it. But you see, it's not just death that we grieve in this world. But because we are not static beings, we grieve the loss of time. Right? Even as you sit there and enjoy a beautiful sunset in the company of good friends with laughter and music and joy, there is grief that you can't stay there in that moment. That you just can't make that feeling last forever. And because we are physical beings, we grieve the loss of connection by separation. Right? When someone moves to a distant place, overseas perhaps, for work or for mission or for a new beginning or a new love. Right? We grieve that separation. Or, or when a friend cuts us off, right? they cut off all contacts and they won't engage with you no matter how much you try to contact them. I think it's called being unfriended, right? We grieve. And this is all the handiwork of death, experienced in every moment until one day we meet death head on and it finally robs us of all time and all bodily life. Now, I realise how bleak that sounds. Uh, And maybe you even find it alarmist or offensive to, to even talk about death so openly and vividly, but death should not be a shock to us. Yes, death is always shocking and tragic, but it shouldn't surprise us that death happens. Right? The fact that it might shock us 
says more about us and the privileged comfort we enjoy and the lengths we go to in order to push it out of sight and out of mind to lock it in hospices and hospitals than it does about the stark reality of death as a very familiar and even daily experience for 95% of the world today and, of course, for the whole world throughout history in every time and place. If the reality of death does feel like a shock to you, then maybe you've bought into the lie that we've somehow evolved so much that we've made ourselves immortal. Death is only something that should come right at the very end, you might say to yourself. But you only need to read the news or listen to the sirens read out along Stanmore Road and Canterbury Road or look at the Medicare card in your wallet or consider the many types of insurance that you buy or own or that are advertised to you right? to see that death and loss and decay are still very much a source of anxiety for all of us. You see, this is why grief is necessary because we live in a perishing world. But because it is necessary, grief is also good for us. Here's the second point. Grief is good. Grief is good because we need to acknowledge sadness. Grief needs to be expressed and processed, neither neither shut in and pushed down or, or shut out. So you notice back in chapter 11 with John, there we are, verse 19, notice how many Jews came to Mary and Martha to comfort them in the loss of their brother. You notice how verse 24, Martha believes in the resurrection of the dead and the life to come and how verse 27, she believes that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God who is to come into the world. And do you notice how in verse 23 Jesus says to Martha, your brother will rise again. And verse 25 he says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live. Even though they die, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Right? You notice that conversation that they have there? Right? You notice the confession of faith? You notice the certainty of hope and eternal life that Jesus offers and that Martha believes in? But do you also notice that not once did Jesus then say to Martha, so why are you sad? Martha, how can you grieve and weep at a time like this? If you truly believe the gospel that I am the resurrection and the life, then why can't you be glad and joyful that your brother has now gone? Why can't you be glad that your brother Lazarus perhaps has gone to a better place? Jesus never says anything like that in the face of death and loss, even though he is the resurrection and the life. And even though he has the power to raise Lazarus from the grave, even though he knows that this death of Lazarus is really just a temporary four-day stint in death. right? And that verse 4, this whole ordeal will be an occasion for everyone to see God's glory so that the God's Son may be glorified through it. right? Even though Jesus knows all of that good news, he doesn't chastise anyone for their grief. He doesn't dismiss their sadness or, or distract them from their sorrow with some upbeat and joyful tune. Right? Always look on the bright side of life, perhaps. Instead, he joins them in their grief. He weeps with them. He grieves the loss of a brother and a friend, even though it's only temporary. He is angry at death. That's what it means when you read in verse 33 and 38, deeply moved, the word there can also be translated angry. To, to snort at death. 
Right? And there is a pastoral lesson for us here in grief. Right? It is right and proper and good to grieve our loss. Now, even though we have the certain hope of resurrection, even though we have assurance of life eternal in Jesus, death is never something to lightly dismiss or rationalise away with trite platitudes. It is good to grieve death and loss wherever it is felt and experienced. There's a really wonderful verse in Romans 8.28 that says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And that is a wonderful and reassuring verse and it is good and it is true, but it is not the first thing to say to someone in the midst of their grief. Because it kind of sounds like this terrible and painful loss, all these tears that you're pouring out, all these things that you're experiencing, well really, it's just a good thing, but in disguise. Maybe it is a good thing in the long run. Maybe God will use that to shape and form you. It is true that in all things God does work for your good. He is a good and righteous God who always does what is righteous and good. But we should be careful about how we use the hope of the resurrection because we don't want it to minimise or set aside the tragedy of evil, evil and death all the pain and the hurt that it actually causes us. Sometimes we are too eager to reason and to rescue and to fix someone in their grief. Not often because I think we don't know how to be sad ourselves. And those who don't know how to be sad actually can't help anyone else in their grief. Like the parent who won't let their child feel sadness or disappointment, even for a minuscule of a moment, because they themselves can't bear their own sadness. They immunise themselves and others against grief and empathy. And if we buy into the delusion that people should be happy all the time, then we won't know how to sit with people in their grief and sorrow. And we'll make it our goal to fix them, to cheer them up or to rescue them from their sadness. But you see, we are never able to rescue anybody from the tyranny of death. The glory of that task belongs to Jesus and to Jesus alone. Instead, we grieve with one another over death and loss, wherever it is felt and experienced, while we wait in hope for grief to finally, one day, be brought to an end. Grief is good because it is right for a deathly and spoiled and perishing world. But grief is not a good in and of itself. And grief is not to be a feature of our lives forever. Here we are at the third point. Grief is not forever. Now, this is not to say that whatever grief you experience now, with time, well, one day you'll just get over it. Right? You'll move on from that person you lost, from that relationship that's ended. No, grief and loss profoundly shape who we are. It is not something to get over, but actually something to live with and to live around. The loss of another person or a special relationship just can't be minimised into to one of the speed bumps of life. People are far too precious and relationships far too special to be reduced to just trivial little hiccups. Now, grief in its various forms will endure for our lifetime. Grief will shape our character and our circumstances. But grief is not our future. 
Now, the Apostle John, the same who wrote this Gospel, writes about this vision of our future in Revelation 21. Let me just read for you the verse, seven verses. He writes, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death, or mourning, or crying, or pain. For the old order of things, what we experience now, has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, look, I am making everything new. And then he said, write this down. For these words are trustworthy and they are true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. And those who are victorious will inherit all this and I will be their God and they will be my children. This is the future of God's people. And it's a future without death or grief. It's a future shaped by life without end from the God who gives life freely without end. And though we grieve now over our death and loss, we grieve as those who have hope. We grieve the pain of death and, and loss, but with the stinger of death plucked out, with the finality of death removed and replaced with new life. Now, it's been a while since I've had a, a bee sting. It seems to always happen when you're a child, not so much as an adult. But, but I do remember, I do know that as long as the stinger stays in your skin, it continues to hurt. And what you need to do is you need to pluck it from out of your skin. And once you've done that, well, it still continues to hurt, but it's only for a little while longer. You see, in his resurrection from the dead, the eternal life that Jesus gives us, well, he removed the sting of death. We still grieve over its trouble and its harmful deeds, but not forever. That is not our future. And so our comfort in the meantime is not just the hope of the life to come, but that Jesus knows our grief and he knows our suffering intimately. Our God is not a God who is removed and distant to our mortality. He's not just watching on sympathetically but disconnected from our grief, like, you know, like a voyeur peering through a window at a world, another world that they can never fully experience. Uh, Nor is Jesus a philosopher who who comes to intellectualise death, to pursue enlightenment through detachment and indifference towards those who are struggling with grief. No, God is passionately concerned and involved with his world. And he knows the pain of death intimately because he himself became a man and experienced death. Uh, Hear these verses from Hebrews chapter 2 verse 9. It says, we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honour. Why? Because he suffered death so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. And verse 14, 
Since we have flesh and blood, he too shared in our humanity so that by his death he might break the power of death, of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery to their fear of death. And isn't this the same Jesus that we see in John chapter 11? The same Jesus who completely identifies with our grief and loss, the same Jesus who knows the scars of death, And the Jesus who is the resurrection and the life for all who believe in him. You see, this is how we do grief well as Christians. And here we are at our last point. We grieve because it is necessary in a world spoiled by death. We grieve because it is right and proper and a good response to death and loss. We grieve as those who have a certain future without death. And we grieve as those who have a God who knows our suffering intimately and has overcome the grave. You see, this is our anchor in grief. Our anchor in grief is the empathy of Jesus. He suffers with us and the hope of the new creation that he has secured for us. And this asks us some hard questions, doesn't it? Here's four that I can think of. Firstly, Do you know how to grieve? Do you know how to grieve so that you might also be able to help those in their grief? Have you thought about how you respond to grief, to loss and sadness? Are you the sort of person that just tries to, you know, as soon as you might see a tear, look away, sing a song, help somebody up, give them, always look on the bright side of life? Or can you sit with someone in their grief because you too know your sadness? Here's the second question. Can you see how your own grief is a good and proper acknowledgement of God's good gifts and the tragedy of their loss? How does your grief honour that person or that relationship or that thing that you grieve for? Here's the third question. How might your grief liberate you from being in this world of decay and free you up to hope in the new creation? And here's the last question. Do you know the personal comfort and assurance of a God who knows your grief intimately and has overcome our death problem? Because that's where our anchor is. Our anchor in grief is the empathy of Jesus and the hope of the new creation. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you that you are not a distant or detached or indifferent God, but that you are a God who knows the pain of grief in the face of death and loss because you yourself have experienced death. And yet, good Lord, you have overcome the grave so that we might inherit life eternal with the Lord Jesus. Please help us to grieve in this world because it is necessary, to respond with sadness and tears because it is good to do so when we acknowledge the good gifts you have given us and their loss. Father, please help us to grieve as those who have hope in a new creation where death and grief and and mourning and pain are far away from us are wiped from creation altogether. 
And Father, please help us to grieve in a way that brings grace and life and hope to one another in the Lord Jesus. And we pray this in his name. Amen.